This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Standard issue for all women. Hello, Jen here to tell you about this week's episode of The Sunday Chops, in which I chat to Sophie Gallagher, Deputy Features Editor at I, an author of new book, How Men Can Help, A Guide to Undoing Harm and Being a Better Ally, which is aimed at getting men to better understand the gendered problem of male violence against women. I chat to Sophie about what she hopes to achieve with the book, why she felt it necessary to write it, and, well how men can help. A little bit of admin here. Sophie and I are talking in this episode about violence against women, including sexual violence. So if you don't want to listen to that for whatever reason, then this might not be the episode for you. We do, of course, have heaps of others to look through if you want a little rummage in our back catalogue. And I will include links in the show notes to Refuge and Rape Crisis England and Wales for anyone who feels like they benefit from finding out about where they can get further support. Also in this episode, I refer to someone who had been attacking women in the Hackney Marshes area for a fairly lengthy period of time. Two men have now been arrested by the Metropolitan Police in connection with those crimes. And in fact, they had been arrested by the Metropolitan Police about two weeks before we recorded this. That news had not filtered through to me at that stage. Sophie was fascinating to chat to, and I hope you enjoy listening to her as much as I enjoyed talking to her. I'm joined by Sophie Gallagher, Deputy Features Editor at I and author of the new book, How Men Can Help, A Guide to Undoing Harm and Being a Better Ally. Hello, Sophie. How are you doing? Hi, I'm really good. Thank you. Thank you for having me on on this nice and hot day. It is really rather sweaty, isn't it? I've had to close the windows so that I don't get any uh, traffic noise in the background and I, I'm rather That's regretting That's what I've done decision. too, but it is... <laughs> stifling so if I pass out then at least but at least you haven't got the ambient noise outside so your book is it's right off our street at standard issue obviously do you want to tell us a little bit about it first of all what it is and how it came to be so what it is is I mean essentially everyone who knows anything about violence against women and I really mean even the smallest amount will know that the narrative always is right women do better walk home with other people, don't walk in the dark, don't wear that dress, don't get drunk, you were too drunk, you shouldn't have walked home alone. That is always what the narrative mm. has been. We see it after every big case, Sarah, Sabina, Zara, you know, why was she walking home at 2am, etc. And the book is sort of challenging that and saying, actually, we need to look at this conversation completely differently. We never ask men to do anything differently. There's never a conversation about, okay, well, you know, what can men do to help nice plug of the title there you know that we never have that and so the book came about I had been doing a lot of journalism about violence against women um and the publisher god love him got in touch with me and we decided to work on this together so it was his born out of something that he wanted to to see in the shops and something that he wanted to learn more about 
he felt that there was a sort of gap in the market where he wanted to read something like this. And that was sort of how it came about a product of his enthusiasm and my rage, perhaps. <laughs> and we sort of met somewhere in the middle to, to craft this together. So it's obviously for men and women and any woman who's written a nonfiction will know that the stats suggest that men barely read nonfiction written by women. So it's a bit of a difficult market to reach in many ways. There is a large audience of men there who want to do more, who kind of broadly, you know, want to support the women in their lives and stuff like that and do more and sort of just don't really know what to do with themselves. So we're hoping that those people will find it useful. So, I mean, that was one of the questions I was going to ask, because it is sort of the elephant in the room. And I, I mean, I feel your pain. I've just written a nonfiction book about football. So imagine. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> yeah, imagine how that's going to go down. Anyway, there is a danger that the people that will read this book will be women predominantly who, you know, we already don't want to get attacked by men. We don't, you know, we don't, mm-hmm. don't want to suffer violence at, at the hands of men. What are your sort of expectations in terms of actually reaching the people that need to be reached? Yeah, it's, I, I mean, I think I'm under no illusion. I completely agree with you that that there is such a capacity for this either just to preach to the choir, to be just to, to be women, sort of us all in this echo chamber, reading it and feeling validated and then being annoyed, but it changing sort of nothing or to be like a performative thing. In fact, there was even a conversation at one point about whether a woman should write it or they should get a man to write it instead, mm. which I understood. And clearly in the end, they went for a woman. But but equally, I, I think maybe there's the, the optimistic part of me that just thinks, OK, well, if we never try, we never know. Yeah. But I am cynical about whether or not it will cut through or it will reach as many people as I might hope or we might hope. Because, because there is this barrier there and because I think even the language you, you, we use about violence against women, we say violence against women, we don't say men's violence. Mm. And even that it disjoints it from men and disjoints it from the people who need to actually be listening to us. So, yeah, I'm kind of maybe cautiously optimistic is the best way of putting it. But I, I do genuinely believe that these people out there exist, whether or not we succeed in in kind of bringing them into the fold is, is another thing. But I think my approach was sort of, if we don't try, we don't know. Mm. And for me, a man writing about it was sort of, I don't want to perpetuate this thing of men only listen to men. So will we have to give the men a stage again? If you want any change, women, you're going to have to let this man talk on your behalf. That really annoyed me. So a kind of, you know, battle hardy continuing and sort of hope that it, that it cuts through. I mean, you set your stall very articulately and it is, you know, it's, it's a very interesting read. So what I think what's interesting is we see the the Me Too movement sort of, you know, reaching kind of global headlines, etc. in 2017. And a lot of men, I think, were genuinely shocked to see so many women that they know have a story, right? We've we've pretty much all got a story. And in fact, you open the book with a story that you have about a terrifying situation you were in as a teenager. Obviously, we know that one in five women globally experience sexual violence specifically at the hands of men. And one in three women mm-hmm. will be will suffer domestic abuse at the hands of men. These are like crazy high stats right and th- and this is what's yeah. being reported as well so it's almost certainly going to be higher than that yeah so i think for men it's very hard for them to hear 
I know I don't mean this in a like, oh, Diddham's poor, poor men, because obviously that's not what I think, but I think it's hard for some men to hear those stats and take them seriously, because if they take those stats seriously, they have to interrogate their own behaviour and things they have done in the past that maybe, maybe they're not rape, maybe they're not illegal what they've done, but it doesn't mean that they're kosher, it doesn't mean they're above board, it doesn't mean we're talking about, like, you know, fully consensual situations. It's more that we don't teach people properly what consent, for example, means. So I think mm. one of one of the problems we have is it's hard for men to hear that because they have to think about what they might have done in the past that might not have been okay. One of the points that you make to start off with in the book is that if you sort of strip away the actual violence kind of element of it, there are inequalities in society that men benefit from that contribute to violence against women. And I thought that was a really interesting point. Can you talk us through that a little bit? So this is something that when I was writing the book, I went back and forth on a lot because to me and to, I think, lots of women, it's so bloody obvious mm. that not being respected across a spectrum of things in the workplace, in relationships, in child rearing, in all those things, it's my secondary nurse, you not respecting me is just so pervasive. It's part, it's, it's within us, right? Knowing that. But I think that that sort of comes back to what you were saying about is really disarming to realise that even the men who are closest to us still don't really understand how widespread this is. And I think that that is actually one of the biggest barriers, right? Is actually that just gulf of understanding between men and women about how frequent this is and how much this is part of everyone's life versus men thinking it's just right, the extreme, the really extreme examples, the Sarahs, the Sabinas, which of course it is, but but it's also very much not just that. So the point you were making at the beginning of the book, I sort of say, right, this, you know, when I'm not just talking here to men who have been really violent, to the domestic abusers, to the, you know, to the, the men who, who rape and attack women, that's not what this is about. It's about all men looking at, right, you know, in a relationship did I just automatically you know heterosexual relationship did I just automatically presume that my partner would be the one to look after the children or if I'm at work and a woman makes a point in a meeting do I ever think oh she's a bit emotional she's being a bit shrill and all those things because all of this although it's not examples of violence it is examples of ways in which our culture our society our economy devalues women women are seen as less than men or more emotional than men or whatever it is and all of that if we don't respect women as being equal to men in those ways it kind of it makes it so much easier to to use harm and to use violence at the extreme end of the spectrum because we don't see women as equal we don't see you know their power their leadership all of those things as equal and i actually think what you were saying about it's very confronting to realize how widespread things are and think I'm a good person you know I, th I think I'm a good person but actually god maybe I'm not it's incredibly confronting mm. and I think in many ways is very similar to I think what a lot of white people had to go through when yeah. we're talking about racism and anti-race work where it's like okay you are not a racist you're not the person on the bus using obscene language towards those people but how much are you actually doing to help? How much, are you, you know, you're just kind of in a neutral position rather than actively going out mm. and doing, you know, anti-racism work. And I think this is sort of similar in having that moment of thinking, 
God, yeah, no, I, I guess I'm not actively going out and harming women, but I'm also not really doing anything to help. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just sort of leaving people to fend for themselves, I guess, for want of a better phrase. And so it's that similar sort of, it forces a real introspection that is deeply uncomfortable because if you like to think of yourself as a good person, which I think most of us think I'm a decent person, I don't wish harm on others. It's very confronting to think, that privilege has blinded me to the fact that actually I was being no help at all. I guess like, oh, well, I'm not, I'm not a rapist, so I'm all right. It's not really like, the bar there is really fucking low, isn't it? Like, the it's, bar it's, is literally in it's, hell, isn't it? I mean... <laughs> it's, it's very low. I, I refer quite often to the, the famous Ken Clark quote. I don't know if you remember it, where he referred to serious and non-serious rapes. Yes. Non-serious rapes being, I, I don't know, I guess like the serious end of the spectrum he's saying is like, you know, you get dragged into a bush kicking and screaming yeah. and whatever and, and anything else is not a serious rape. The point that you make is that there are lesser sexist acts and it is not hard to join the dots between those things. And you use you use a phrase which is quite strong and I wondered if you could maybe talk me through this a little bit. You say that in going along with this, in not joining those dots, it makes all men complicit. I think often people feel really confronted by that, particularly when, you know, if you are a working class man who, you know, you know, is living in poverty, essentially, doesn't really feel like the odds are stacked in your favour, does it? It really yeah. doesn't. It's very confronting to hear, actually, and you're part of this awful system doing all this stuff. And I understand that. But I think that that's what we do need those kind of strong wake up calls to say, OK, yes, you're not doing it. But can you see how all of these little these little things, well, they're not really little, but it's hard to sort of characterize them in another way without mm. doing a kickback serious and non-serious. We have 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 to have these difficult conversations because I think doing this sort of, OK, well, no, it's just the men on the extreme who are the problem. The rest of you are all OK. I think mm. it actually let, it lets us all off the hook a lot. And actually, if you feel confronted by that, think about why. Think about are you doing enough to feel like, actually, OK, I can see I can see where the harm is there, but I'm actively trying to do better. If I'm just sitting back and thinking, yeah, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing bad things myself. So that's sort of enough you are complicit you are you know it's so easy to turn a blind eye to this stuff you know we all do it to differing degrees and I think that's what it's I wanted it to be a wake-up call I want people to think god you know maybe I should have done more so another point that you make and and that we sort of touched on in the the, the first part of, of this interview is how it is seen as a woman's problem violence against women is seen as a women's problem it's not seen as a men's problem and I 100% agree with you it is always women that are asked to modify their behavior it's never men who are challenged to modify their behavior but obviously in a world where the kind of change that we need to see is is so much bigger than like just don't rape people guys like it's you know it's we're talking about like massive wholesale societal change here those modifications to behavior do help us to stay safe and i find that as a, as a feminist i find that like quite conflicting i wondered what you thought about that i agree right i agree that in the same way as someone said to me the other day but we tell everyone to lock their windows so they're not burgled or whatever those sort of modifications are just sensible behavior 
And I sort of agree, although I didn't really like the comparison between property and women as like a yeah. thing. But anyway, so I, I sort of get where you're going with it. And I completely agree. Obviously, everyone, you know, is taking steps to try and keep themselves safe. I think what I don't like about it is that the conversation never goes further than that. And also, when you're looking at things like, okay, if you look at the 24 hours after what happened to Zara Lena a couple of weekends ago, the Met Police, immediately, the response is, women be alert, women do this, women don't do that. And I, I do understand that we're trying to protect other people and this is just like a really short term, it's fighting fires, right? Like, mm. okay, it's much easier if you all just right, try and stay off the streets or walk while we fix this problem. But the conversation never goes any further than that. Mm. And so I think I under, I completely agree with you as well. Like these are well-meaning safeguarding things. It's the sort of thing your parents would say, or, you know, my mum found out I was walking through a park alone. She would say... God, don't do that. And it, that, of course, that's well-meaning. But I think the problem is, is that we don't even realise what we're asking of women when we mm. say those things. We just see it as a, this is obviously a sensible step to take. We don't see the entire culture that is built around it of like, actually, we moderate women's behaviour because we simply cannot trust men to not do this. That's been like that for generations, hasn't it? You know, for, mm. for my entire life. And there's no sign of it changing. So while I completely, completely see these safeguarding things are useful as like a short term, just, just you know, it's better if you walk with someone else because it makes you safer. I see that. I'm so frustrated with the conversation, not going any further, mm. of seeing that when we ask this of women... That isn't just a neutral request that erodes that erodes their sense of freedom in public space. And so it's not just a case of, well, it's, you know, that's just the easiest thing. But actually it's not, is it? Because you're asking half of the yeah. more than half of the population to constantly change their behaviour. And so, okay, yeah, short term and historically it's always been easier because, well, women are secondary, and so it's easier to ask them to work around, you know, the the dominant people who are men. But actually, we need to look at that. In an ideal world, say you've got a politician coming out after what happened with Sarah. Yes, OK, you might have the element of, OK, women in the area should try and do this. But also the, and men, you know, are you talking to your friends about this? Are you trying to help? Are you doing, you know, they're, they're never that. It's reactionary. It's not. It's not proactive because, like, so yeah. for example, at the moment, I, I don't know where you live. I'm near Hackney Marshes. There's a mm. guy out there who's been attacking women since February, mm-hmm. who they say is between sixteen and twenty, and who has attacked like more than twenty women. He hasn't been caught yet. They don't know who he is. Wouldn't it be better if he wasn't out there doing that in the first place than to ask me not to go through Hackney Marshes by myself? Right, exactly. And I think that's the thing. Like, I understand the safeguarding things as a short term firebreak thing. I get it. Mm. It's, you know, to tell women, by the way, this is happening. So you might want to think about, I understand the sort of, you know, the crude logic there. Mm. But in 40 years time, the message will still be the same. So often we think about this, a writer's about in the book about this monster myth, where we just tell ourselves that the only people who commit violence against women are these real deviants. They live on the edge of society. They're people we don't know, the people we don't hang around with. And it's just not true. Mm. The people who do these things are partners and fathers and brothers and sons. And, you know, by telling ourselves, 
we'll just keep our women safe and you know hopefully just keep them away from these monsters it just does us all a disservice it's not fixing anything it's Mm. just in the short term okay well that woman was saved from being attacked because she didn't walk through the park but another woman was attacked instead really like these are you know there's not answers are Mm. they they're just kind of platitudes there is a school of thought that i have heard recently that perhaps in highlighting women's sort of comparative weakness, comparative physical frailty to men, we are in some ways exacerbating the problem. I wondered what you thought about that. In, in my immediate thought is it's just that's that classic sort of lean in, isn't it? It's like, right, women, if you stop drawing attention to your frailty and your secondaryness and just lean in and just, you know, try try a bit harder basically don't draw attention to this work harder be stronger then eventually things will sort of work themselves out if we portray ourselves as victims as weak as frail you know but that argument of oh if women keep portraying themselves as victims well then it's sort of self-fulfilling isn't it and it's just bollocks isn't it i i struggle with that a bit because i think that it's not about individual frailty it's not about us you know adopting a position of victimhood it's about looking at the the statistics say this violence is gendered it's hugely gendered men obviously are subject to lots of violence but mostly by other men and by being quiet and not talking about it it's not helping it's really not helping we need to draw more attention to this so that we can fix it together it's about structural societal change and so us not talking about it the structures won't just gradually think oh actually we'll slowly change it needs radical change and so we have to highlight where the flaws are in it because the people in charge who are mostly men aren't going to see them for themselves so we need to need to be more vocal about it i think there's another point of course in all of this which we talk about a lot on standard issue we let men come as i told you in the sort of preamble to this interview we let men come and talk Mm -hmm. on standard issue once a year around international men's day because that's all we're ever allowed to do in when the situation (laughs) is reversed but the thing that we say our kind of justification for that almost is that gender inequality is actually shit for everyone it's bad for all people men and women and Mm -hmm. The argument that you make in your book, which is one that that people will be probably familiar with, is the idea that masculinity or some interpretations or iterations of masculinity Mm. are actually harming men as well, right? This is what frustrates me so much, I think, when wanting to stop violence against women is portrayed as being anti-men. I mean, for one thing... I don't see why that's seen as like some benefit of being a man that you can be violent and so you know but it's it's often seen as as sort of detracting from men's issues small violin but the thing is i completely feel that the system we are in um it is it is bad for men as well in many ways of course it serves them in lots of ways as well but you know the harmful parts of masculinity and that phrase toxic masculinity was thrown around a lot for a few years and i don't know if it's that helpful because lots of men here all men are toxic, even though that's not what it means. Lots of men here, all men are toxic. And so just fingers in ears. And that, you know, and that's that's not helpful for anyone. But I do think, as you just said, there are forms of masculinity that are harmful. You know, if men only feel that they can prove their manliness uh, by being tough or by not showing emotion, apart from anger, you can show anger, mm. or, you know, by dominating the women around them, by only being leaders, never followers, all of those things, you know, I cite Grayson Perry's book, The Ascent of Man. He writes very, very 
eloquently about where does that leave you know men who feel they can't prove their worth by being a breadwinner because they're out of work or where does it leave you know teenage boys who have no education and you know just act out in forms of violence masculinity isn't working for them either and it's sure as hell not working for the women who then experience the violence as a as a consequence of it you know one of the experts I speak to in the book says he thinks that feminism is a gift to men and I I think that as well I really do you know we've sort of expanded the horizons of what women can be or should be or increasingly but for men it can still be very very narrow and there's a lot of sadness there around that for me and actually if men in addressing lots of these things that would advance women it would advance things for themselves it would hopefully you know lessen the parameters that many men not all men that many men feel um on their personalities and the way that they can behave um, and all those sort of things so i i really feel like genuinely this would help men and women but so often i think getting past that defensiveness that we mentioned earlier on is is difficult and many men hold on really tightly um to to things as they are i think because you know there's a fear that changing the status quo means means less for men less of a share of the pie i guess but actually the pie i think would be much better um you know if if things were slightly recalibrated let's say i think it's we've i mean we talked about this on the podcast particularly around the time of sarah everard's murder there were some people at the time i think it was davina mccall got very upset on twitter about how we were talking about look come on guys you need to back us up here you need to you need to speak up for us now you need to and she said she thought it was unhelpful for men who have their own issues to be painted as these terrible monsters, et cetera, et cetera. And I mean, like, you know, on the podcast, we we call bullshit on that pretty quickly, I have to say. My eldest brother died by suicide. So I am very familiar with the the things we talk about when we refer to toxic masculinity or versions of masculinity that are harmful to men. And as women, we talk all the fucking time about men's mental health all the fucking time and that like and and i don't resent that because i think that's a societal problem i think that's a problem we all need to deal with and the thing that frustrates me is that i don't feel that that is reciprocated when we talk about these things that are harmful to women why are men not talking about this with their friends yeah i completely agree i think that's one of the things that frustrates me when you sort of get this you know we talk about violence against women why aren't you talking about men's issues we bloody well are you're just mm. you know it's just it's just very convenient it's like international women's day when's international men's day is in november whenever it is mm. like just stop you know not every t- chance to talk about women needs a chance to talk about men i actually think that a lot of this and when, when people have said to me right okay what can men do the first thing and this sounds so obvious that i think most men almost instantaneously tick it off in their head when i say it is realize the scale of this problem realize how pervasive it is realize that look at the statistics speak to the women around you i think that's why lots of men don't talk about it it's because they kind of think it's like a weird niche thing it's a Mm. niche thing that happens to a few women every once in a while the media all goes crazy but it's literally just those women they don't see horribly the women they share their blood ties with or their beds with they don't see the violence there and that's i think often why they you know we don't need to get into you know men talking about feelings and all that stuff and why they don't talk about that but talking about this particular issue i genuinely think it's because it's still seen as a really like marginal niche thing it's not not that big of a problem 
and so that's part of it is where it's like oh that kind of weird kooky thing off on the side and you know there's some research by um i think it was police scotland that asked both men and women how frequently they thought things happened so groping harassment that sort of thing and obviously women it was three quarters of women had been groped or harassed on public transport or whatever whatever it was and it was only about a quarter of men thought this ever happened and i know that's a really kind of small point but i think that gulf of this is how often it actually happens and this is how often men think it happens is phenomenal and that goes back to what we're saying about me too and you're saying i think lots of men were really shocked that the women around them had these stories because it's just sort of oh god i didn't i didn't realize that i just thought it was those women over there who were kind of bothered by this so why they don't talk about it my most generous interpretation is that they genuinely do not think it is a problem on the scale that it is a problem I think it's interesting because I I mean I remember having a conversation with my brother many years ago and I said all of these things have happened to people I know and then Mm -hmm. I go through them and I say you know I know in my direct group of friends maybe one person who hasn't been raped or sexually assaulted basically and he was like well fucking hell that's pretty bad and I guess the question is why don't we hear about it well (laughs) People don't report it because the prosecutions it's so are so... so self-fulfilling, you know? Yeah, I think it's like 16% of women mm. report. So those numbers, those big numbers, they are a hell of a lot bigger, like, as you said mm. earlier on. You know, 16%, I think it was, in the latest report. Um, and that even when women do talk about it, because of our lack of respect of women and the way we, you know, we make assumptions about women, you're then seen as, oh, but... Are they making it up or is it, or are they overblowing it or are they just making a bigger dip? And this is what I mean when I say all of the way that women are treated across society feeds into this violence because, okay, women don't report it because they don't trust the police or they don't trust they'll see justice and they don't, you know, which is bloody fair enough. If you mm. look at the, you know, the conviction rates, okay, well, they don't report it. Do they talk about it? Well, yeah, when they do talk about it, it's still not really taken seriously, especially if you're, you know, a working class woman or, uh, you know, non-white woman, basically. Think about the, the girls in Rotherham. Think about, you know, they, that seems like a lifestyle choice, wasn't it? All this child abuse. But the way we talk about it, this is the thing that astonished me most in those research. There are so many cases of women reporting to the police, my partner or ex-partner is going to kill me mm. and nothing happens. Nothing happens and they end up dead. Mm. There was one particular one, Shana Grice, who was issued a fixed penalty notice for complaining about it. And then she was murdered. I cannot stress how strongly, even when women do talk about it, you're still seen as like, you're literally wasting wasting my time with this, whatever. And it's so self-fulfilling. So then we don't talk about it because we anticipate that response and Mm. then told, well, why aren't you talking about it? And it's makes my blood boil. That is part of the problem here is, right, if we don't respect women, if we don't see women as truth tellers, as universal truth tellers, if we don't see their experiences as, I think so often it's still, well, I didn't see that happen. Mm. And so can't be real. And so we just have this constant feedback loop of, well, women don't talk about it enough, but when they do talk about it, not taken seriously. So it all boils down to the same frustrating bollocks, doesn't it? That basically, you know, like hysteria. Yeah. <laughs> Again, pretty much. Yeah. I guess like the thing that I would like to know, basically I want to know what the call to action is as a result of, you know, we've identified the problem, we've talked about the problem. What do you hope that men will take from your book? And what do we do now? 
And I don't want to say what do we do as women because obviously we're doing all the fucking heavy lifting already. But, you know, I guess buy a copy of your book and put it in front of the, the men in our lives. But even that is... That well, would be great, yeah. <laughs> even that is still us going out and doing the heavy lifting. Well, exactly. I think if men take away one thing from the book, and there, there are lots of things, but if it had to be one thing, it is to see that this problem is far wider and more all-encompassing than you believe it is. Even if you think you're relatively well-read or, you know, understand the woes of the world, I promise you, I promise you, this is more widespread than you think it is. This isn't just about Wayne Cousins or or whatever, which, of course, is to a degree, or the Harvey Weinstein's. It's not just about that. It's about the woman next to you on the bus or the woman you work with. This is so, so deeply embedded in our in our culture and everything that we sort of need to start from scratch. And in terms of call to action, I think it would be, right, so, you know, read my book, that would be helpful. But, you know, <laughs> look, look at the statistics here. Mm. Look at how gendered this is. Don't buy into the not all men argument. Yes, it's comforting. Yes, it's sort of, I can see why it appeals to some men. But it's a straw man. No woman is arguing that every man is the rapist and murderer. No one is arguing mm. that. But what we are arguing is that we, you know, all men do need to look at themselves and, and, and look at your behaviour. Yes, OK, you're not being outwardly violent. But what about the assumptions you make about women? What about the time you kind of stood by in the pub when someone was being belligerent to a woman because it was really awkward? All of that stuff feeds into this. It might feel small to you, but it builds up into this great pyramid of harm. And look at yourself. Don't think that any of us are sort of beyond this in the same way with lots of you know racism and anti-racism work a lot of us have to do some very deep introspection even when we think we're beyond it and listen to the women around you this isn't about men coming in and say all right what's going on here then let me fix this all for you that's not what this is listen to the women around you and just see that you have a role to play where perhaps you maybe thought you didn't before no one's asking you to come in and be this white knight on a mm. horse there's no one asking i'm just asking that you at least appreciate mm. my partner wonderful love him to bits but when we first moved in together i wouldn't go running at night mm. obviously to him that was really surprising like oh but it's really it's like you know it's warm now why don't you go in the dark when it's cool and like there's just there's just cognitive dissonance mm. and that i think is what is so frustrating even really smart wonderful men just don't get it and i think that's that's so much what we need to change is if men genuinely got it Hmm. really really did if they felt it in their bones in the way we feel the fear in our bones when we're walking home at night it wouldn't be like this you know and I think there's this real temptation to say oh yeah no I you know I read a bell hooks book once so I know what you're talking <laughs> about and you think I don't know if you do every decision yeah. we make is tainted either by fear that something bad might happen or fear that if it does happen people will be like she shouldn't have gone that way or she shouldn't have been wet it's relentless. Okay, Sophie, well, your book, Hellman Can Help, was published on the 7th of July by Welbeck and is available in all good bookshops and indeed online. Men, go and read it, if you're listening, men, that is. Don't, <laughs> don't rely on your partner or your mum or your sister or whoever buying it for you. Go to the shop and buy it yourself. And Sophie, where can we follow you online to find out what you're up to? Twitter, Twitter is always best. Um, I am at SCF Gallagher. Thank you very much, Sophie. Thanks so much, Jen.
standard issue for all women.